This is That's in the Bible.com. That's in the Bible, episode 65. What is so great about salvation? Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, powers at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name is Eric. You've tuned in for episode 65, What is So Great About Salvation? That's right, episode 65, and it's less than a year since our last podcast. So glad you could join us. Glad you're all here. And we do have joining us today another full house. We've got Pastor Strobel. Hello, I am here. He is there. And also Pastor Steve. I am here. And Matthew. I'm barely here. He's barely there. We've got a tough Skype connection up there in the great frozen tundra of Alaska. Matt's not just in Alaska. He's up uh, pretty far northwest as you can go up there in the Arctic Circle, up at uh, Point Hope, Alaska. Now, Steve, you were there. How was that journey? Uh, it was a long journey. It took a long time to get there. Uh, my wife and daughter had gone up earlier with the, with the baby, and uh, then I followed after, uh, flew up there by myself. But uh, it is tundra. There's no trees. Uh, it's just uh, flat ground and, and ocean on, I guess you could say, two sides of it, and a lagoon on the other side of it, and a narrow strip of land that uh, have a village and and uh, a lot of wind. I can say that. A lot of wind. A lot of wind up there. Now, I think I'm scheduled to go up there. We're looking at uh, sometime in September. Okay. So, but how do you sleep if it takes like two days to get there? Well, I, I don't sleep. <laughs> I don't have trouble sleeping. You can just sleep, <laughs> can in, sleep anywhere. Sleep in the airport. Yeah, I can usually fall asleep pretty fast, too. So Matt, how big is the village that you're in? Well, uh, it's about 850 uh, Eskimo villagers, so it's uh, it's pretty small. But uh, there's a lot of potential here, of course. Uh, we've got a lot of kids. The kids almost outnumber the adults. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, so we have a bunch of children ministries here, and it's uh, it works really well because the kids, a lot of times, they don't have anything else to do, so they want to come to church. So it's a blessing to see them get the gospel, get saved, and then just get excited about the Lord. Amen. All right, we've also got Pastor Strobel. Now, I have it on good authority, Pastor Strobel, that you also have been to Alaska. That is correct, actually. I didn't get up as far as where uh, Matthew is, but I was up in Kotzebue. Uh, Brother Dan Snyder from our church uh, was up there pastoring for many years. And his village is... Uh, if I remember about the time I was there, he said, I think about 3,000, which for the Arctic villages is pretty much a thriving metropolis. Yeah. But yeah. I went, I went um, over the 4th of July time, and it is the on the way to the 4th of July picnic, this is the only time this ever happened at that time of year to me, but I was actually hit with a snowball. <laughs> <laughs> now, there wasn't snow all around, but uh, we were going to the <coughs> beach. Uh, 
<laughs> and there was this little embankment that wasn't getting sunlight. And uh, Brother Snyder found a snowball. He found some snow. He made a snowball. <laughs> and from a distance, a pretty good distance, he nailed me right in the ankle. <laughs> and then he made another ball. And, and he's getting this little demonic sort of look on his face, you know. <laughs> and, and he nailed me again. And um, I don't remember him being able to throw that accurately when he was on our church softball team. But something <laughs> <laughs> got in him that day. Now, we, we have to know, did you return fire? I had no snow. No snow for you. I was I was on the four wheeler uh, a little ways behind him, and uh, so by that time I think I think I just decided let's just go to the beach. <laughs> when we say beach, we're not talking sand. We're talking like pebbles, and that's that's what's all on the shore there. Hmm. How cold was it? It was it was chilly enough for a jacket, and I had um, for the first time in my life uh, caribou burger. Mm. How was that? Wasn't too bad. Either. Wasn't bad. Mm. Light, not fat, you know, pretty good. Not a lot of fat on it. Amen. Did you have a caribou burger, Steve? What'd you eat while you were in Alaska? Uh, I didn't eat anything that was foreign to me. Let's put it that way. Uh, although Matt and Jen did try. Although I did have, what are those berries they call up there, Matt? They're the salmon berries. Yeah, the the aquatic berries. Yeah, they, uh, they, they would remind you of rhubarb but they look like a kind of like a raspberry and they have to add sugar to them. And, uh, so had that, but, uh, they wanted me to try muck tuck and, and all that kind of stuff. And I flat re- refused. If anybody knows me, I have a, a tremendous adverse to uh, fat. Now I like my bacon crisp so that you can uh, crunch it. You know, that's the way I like my bacon. I could have got it crispy for you. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> if you crunch uh, it, it would be muttuck then, would it? But I tell you what, it was it was interesting. We were there at, uh, before Thanksgiving. We were there in November. And uh, the weather was warmer than it normally is at that particular time. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm dressed in, in winter clothing because, you know, it's it's cold. But uh, the girls that, that live across the street were coming across in flip-flops and sweatshirts, and that's all they had, you know, and said, you guys crazy. And of course, <laughs> it was probably warm to them, but, you know, c- compared to what they normally have. But it, uh, it, was, it was an experience. I enjoyed it. Uh, had time to relax and just kind of get away from ministry, so to speak, and, and uh, visit with Matt and Jen and... And, uh, with Jacob and Cassie and, and, uh, read a book <laughs> while I was up there and, and just, uh, enjoyed the, the time, saw the scenery out there, took a number of pictures and, and, uh, just, uh, had a good time, really enjoyed it. So I, I, know, I encourage you to go. Yes. All right. I, I'm, I'm planning to go. I know that, uh, there's no trees and all that, but I imagine just from the little pictures, the pictures and things I've seen, it, it kind of has its own kind of stark beauty, I guess. Right. It's, yeah, it does. It's kind of a lone, I say, a, a, can you say this, a romantic, lonely feeling? Mm-hmm. Is that, would that describe it? I mean, there's, there's a, a sense of being alone, uh, yet, you know, I, when you look at the Arctic Ocean, is it the Arctic Ocean or the Bering Sea? Which is it, Matt? Yeah, it's the Arctic Ocean. Arctic Ocean. Uh, it's uh, it's a, a totally different color. Uh uh, and the beach is a totally different color, the sand, uh, it's just, uh, you know, just seeing the old village, 
and and seeing the uh, whalebone um, joist, if you will, across members that they put the sod over the top of it. Um, uh, seeing some of the old old houses that they had in the old village that were modern at one time, <laughs> but uh, you know it's just it's really kind of uh, an interesting uh, ambiance there. And Matt, how long have you been up there? Uh, a little over two years. We came here in January uh, two years ago. And Steve, your church is where in Buffalo? We're in technically a neighborhood called South Buffalo, and uh, we're still renting from uh, uh, another denomination, and they have one service at about 9.30 in the morning. Uh, the church could seat probably at close to 300, but uh, the church has, uh, dw- their church has dwindled greatly. Uh, I think they've got anywhere between 10 and 12 people that come uh, on a regular basis. And uh, so they kind of welcomed us. It kind of helps them pay some of their bills and so forth. And uh, there's another church that, that comes in after us that's also uh, paying rent and so forth. So uh, we just sit on one side of the pews and made a pulpit. I don't use their split uh, lecterns and so forth or their altars or or their little box where they keep uh God and, and stuff like that. So don't use that. But um, uh, when we sing, I, I know the fellow that, that I, is my contact there from the other church. Uh, he's uh, kind of stayed in the office when we start our service and so forth. And he really enjoys the singing uh, and so forth. And it's with uh, life and gusto. We may not be that many, but we make a lot of sound. And and it's one of those old churches. It was built in 1892, and it's got uh, uh, a high ceiling with kind of arches in it. That's the the ceiling is made of wood, and so uh, it uh, it really reverberates the sound. And believe it or not, I can stand in the front of the church and talk just like I'm talking to you right now, and and you can hear every word that's said. As long <laughs> as there's not a lot of background noise, you know, people shuffling around and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So. Matt's been there. He knows what uh, what we're talking about. I'm the one usually shuffling around a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and anyway. Pastor Strobel, how are things in Lockport? Things are good in Lockport. We are, um, well, Lockport is, it's hard to exactly pin it as far as where we are from Buffalo, but a little bit north, I guess, and a little bit uh, east of Buffalo and a little bit east of uh, Niagara Falls. So the church rolls on in Lockport. You know, I'm just thinking I'm, I'm in an unusual situation as far as the messages I'm doing right now. I don't, fact, I don't think I've ever been in this situation. I actually, um, we have four services a week. If you, you know, you separate the different Sunday services with Sunday school and then Sunday morning service, the Sunday evening service, and then Wednesday we have a midweek prayer meeting and Bible study. <laughs> but I've never actually been doing um, series in all of those services at the same time. A lot of times I, I won't be doing series on Sunday morning and Sunday night. Um, but I just happen to be where, I, where the way the Lord's got it right now. I, I am. Of course, Sunday school is a series. Um, and we are right now going through the book of Psalms. We just started Psalm 25 yesterday. And on Wednesday night, uh, a lot of times we'll do a book of the Bible. Um, but, uh, for the last, good number of weeks, about, I think about 16, 17 weeks, I've been doing Bible studies on the subject of prayer. 
And then on Sunday night, uh, for several weeks, I've been preaching on the subject of uh, bringing forth fruit. So spiritual fruit and a lot of the different exhortations and applications that go through with that. And then for the last three Sunday mornings, um, the Lord has me, I, I, I was, when it came time to do the message, I got the topic and then I realized this is not going to be one, one message. <clears throat> so I just started running with it, but I'm doing a series on lions in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so I found it very, um, interesting with a lot of different ways to go. There's actually, you take the v- various forms of the word lion in the Bible, there's 154 references. Wow. And so we're not going to try to be covering all of them. And of course there's overlap as well, but I started out by dealing with our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion. And I've covered such things as um, uh, Daniel's lions, um, Samson's lion. Uh, Last uh, Sunday morning, which was yesterday, I dealt with some things regarding uh, Benaiah, one of David's mighty men, and uh, his lion. As he went down in the midst of a pit on a snowy day or in time of snow, you have both of those references in the in Samuel and Chronicles, both of those details, and he slew that lion in that pit. Mm-hmm. And additionally, he also slew two lion-like men. So we mm-hmm. dealt with that as well. So mm-hmm. I'm in, I'm enjoying it, and um, hopefully the people are getting something out of it. Amen. Sounds good. Wish I could be with it, be there for that. Um, we're going to be right back, and Steve is going to bring us the message of the lesson today on what is so great about salvation right after this. There is a spiritual warfare taking place all around us. It's an unseen battle which wants to claim your Christian war and testimony. Find out how to emerge victorious. Listen to episode 21, The Spiritual Warfare. Are you being attacked? Only on FastsInTheBible.com. All right. So, Steve, any any, uh, any other things we should know before we get started? We do have one, uh, you know, nothing more than, you know, the normal things that happen in life. But uh, in the interim from last podcast to this one, I became a grandfather for the sixth time. Wow, amen. And uh, little Anna was born on the 6th of March, and uh, about 10.30, or 10.31, be exact, and um, baby and uh, mother are doing fine. And uh, believe it or not, and this is, I don't know how rare this is, but all six of my grandchildren are three years old and under. Wow. <laughs> so, uh with the exception of Matt, all of them come over most of the time on Sunday afternoon, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, fun and challenging. And there are <laughs> times I have to go find some place to hide. But uh, <laughs> what he really wanted to say, folks, was it's a zoo. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, bet it's it's a blast. I'm enjoying it, uh, seeing the characteristics and the and the care and the uh, what a, what a, the word I'm looking for the the character of each of the kids, yeah. uh, you know, finding out how they are and, and, uh, uh it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Each one has we their get own. updates. We get updates with, uh, Jen and Matt and, and uh, Jacob all the time. So we're seeing his development come along at the same time. So we're enjoying that as well. Amen. All right. Then we'll go ahead and started, uh, with today's lesson from Steve. What is so great about salvation? Mm-hmm. 
Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, here we are for another bot podcast. It's been a long time since I have actually presented one. And uh, so I may be a little rusty. But uh, to start off, why don't you go ahead and take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, I hope the uh, title maybe brings a little bit of... Uh, uh, you know, a query as to what uh, what this podcast is all about. It's going to cover uh, a, a variety of, uh, of of subjects, I guess you could say. Uh, but uh, let's uh, go ahead and start here in Hebrews chapter two, and beginning in verse one. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his will, his own will. Uh, let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're thankful again for this opportunity to present your word. Father, pray that you might fill me with your spirit. And Lord God, I pray that you'd help me to say the things that you once said here uh, this evening. Uh, Father, this is a great subject and uh, cannot be exhausted. And so, Lord, I pray that I might be able to do it justice in some way, God, through you. Uh, Lord, I know that in me, uh, there's no ability to be able to do this, and I'm trusting that you will uh, take control and help me to be able to present this in a way that's understandable. And, Lord God, it might uh, draw some people uh, to a point where they really appreciate the salvation that they have. Thank you, Lord, again, for the fellows that uh, help with this uh, and, Lord God, I pray that you might bless each and every person that hears. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you uh, get an opportunity, if, if your manner in Christian life is to engage the world uh, by talking to people about the Lord, by talking to people about salvation. But I'll tell you this, that uh, Salvation, the subject of salvation, is not really on the priority list of most people that you come in contact with. Uh, I don't know if you found it uh, to be a, a, a really a truth that they're just not interested in knowing how they can have eternal life. Uh, you know, right now, uh, if you try to talk to somebody right now, you know what they'd be interested in? They'd be interested in their NCAA bracket. Uh, most of people probably have busted brackets at this time, and they're involved in March Madness, and they're watching TV, and they can't be bothered with anything regarding the Lord. Uh, if it's not the NCAA, then maybe it's the NBA pay playoffs that's coming up, and they're worried about uh, whether uh, their team is going to be able to, to either qualify for the playoffs or do well in the playoffs, and they're not interested in hearing about spiritual things. The NBA draft is coming up soon and they're all concerned about who their team is going to be drafting you've got russian collusion taking place or hillary emails or they got personal problems uh maybe they're interested in finding you know finding out where they're going to be able to make their next hit for the drugs or alcohol that they're they're needing to supply the habits that they have and and all that to be said 
just to, to reiterate the fact that people are not interested in salvation. Uh, you know, it talks about there in, in verse 3, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And you know what? These people, whether they realize it or not, are not going to escape the fact that if they ignore the subject of salvation, they're going to spend eternity in a lake of fire, and they're going to burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and it's not going to stop. It's not like some, you know, you get punished, you get spanked, you know, and you get that punishment and it's over and you heal up from it and then you go on. This, when you ignore God's salvation, that punishment for that salvation will go on forever. And so it's important for us to really uh, uh, to uh, engage the world and let them know about God's salvation. I want to bring you a message about that salvation, and I want you to let it let you know that that salvation is a great salvation. Uh, let me say this to 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 be clear: salvation is simple. Man makes it difficult. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, he said, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtly, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Salvation is simple. You know, and, and another issue that, that probably needs to be said is that there's so many Christians that think the Bible is written to all men of every age, uh, 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 every age being the same. In other words, people in the Old Testament are saved the same way that people in the New Testament are. Uh, the, the church age, some uh, people think that the Old Testament saints are saved the same way as those in the tribulation and the millennium. And I, I'm here to tell you that that, I believe, is not true. Uh, and I, I've got some scripture that I'd like to show you before you turn it off and before you, you just uh, turn a deaf ear to what's going to be said next. I'd like for you to open up your mind at least and heart to the scriptures and at least explore what's being said here. Do you realize that there's all these little nice little sayings that go out there that sound nice to the ear but really have no biblical facts based uh, or based uh, upon it. Uh, one of those sayings is uh uh, the Old Testament saints are looking ahead to the cross while the New Testament saints are looking back to the cross. And I want you to, to, to let the scriptures speak for themselves. In Exodus chapter 35, and, and by the way, in this, this study we're doing in this podcast, there's going to be a lot of scripture. And we're going to have the, those scriptures listed in the uh, show notes and so forth, so you can take a look at them. And if you don't, aren't able to follow as fast as I go here, You'll be able to, to listen to it again and, and then have those show notes to be able to, to go to the scriptures and be able to read it for yourself. But in Exodus chapter 35 and verse 1, And Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, These are the words which the Lord uh, hath commanded that ye should do them. You notice that it's do them. It's an element of works. Now, obviously, they had to believe what God said, that they had to do those works. There's faith involved there, but their faith was uh, to be extended to them doing works. If they did not do the works and only had the faith, they would be suffering the judgment 
for not, uh, not uh, doing those works. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 37, it says this, Therefore shall ye observe all my statutes and all my judgments to do them. I am the Lord. In Psalm 103, verses 15 through 18, it says this, As for man, his days are as grass, as the flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is and is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto the children's children. To such as keep, so this righteousness is based on verse 18, to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. You see, it's an element of works. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4 says this, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. His faith is dependent upon his righteousness and how he keeps those commandments and then makes the appropriate sacrifices when he violates those commandments. And it it is all based on an element of works. You know that it's based on an element of works by how Paul, the Apostle Paul, and Peter even, makes a contrast in their epistles. There is a contrast that takes place and shows you a difference between Old Testament and New Testament. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, says this, For it pleased the Father that in him, talking about Jesus Christ, should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. And the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which uh, was uh, preached to every creature which is under heaven, wherefore I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Wherefore I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints. So you see by that verse, the the mystery that was revealed to Paul about salvation by grace through faith was revealed to him. It was a mystery. And it was hid from those in the Old Testament. Uh, Verse 27 to whom God would make known what is the riches of of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, 
whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his contrast. And he shows that there is a difference from those that kept the law and that they were blinded to the fact of this mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, Peter makes an even stronger statement in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. It says this, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come uh, to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So it makes it sound as if they were inquiring, that they understood, that they, that they were preaching these things. All these types that we see in the Old Testament that point to Jesus Christ's suffering, talking about Isaiah 53, talking about Genesis chapter 22, talking about the life of Joseph, and all of those things that we see from a New Testament perspective and understanding— most people think that they, those Old Testament prophets understood what they were talking about. But notice verse 12, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. You see, those Old Testament prophets, they inquired, they searched, they tried to figure out what they were prophesying about, what they wrote down in scriptures, but they had no clue what it was about until it was revealed to the New Testament or to the, uh, to the apostles. When Peter gets up there in Acts chapter 2 and he begins to preach and uses uh, uh, Acts, uh, not, not Acts, I'm sorry, uh, Psalm uh, 16 and talks about not leaving his soul in hell. You go back to Psalm 16, it has no reference at all to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But when Peter is preaching there, either him reading that or Jesus Christ revealing it to him in those 40 days before he ascended, let him know that it was a reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That revelation was hid to David that wrote that psalm, but it was revealed to the apostles when they began to preach. And Paul did the same thing, and he makes reference to those things in the, in the Old Testament uh, about how Christ was revealed there, but it was revealed to them, not to the Old Testament saints. Now, we know by the revelation that's given to those apostles that salvation is a free gift, it's not of works. In the Old Testament, they were commanded to keep those laws. At least from Mount Sinai on, they were commanded to keep the law, to do works. And we are admonished that it's not of works. Verses that you ought to be very familiar with in Titus chapter 3, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This couldn't be any clearer. Yet, there are folks, Christians out there, that would cloud the issue. 
There are even folks that say that, that somebody that preaches or teaches the issues or the, the subject that I have just got done t- teaching you uh, are lost and condemned and on their way to hell. And whether you agree with me or not, that's fine. I, you know, you, you, between you and God, you need to make sure that the scriptures uh, are true and right, and you are supposed to search out the scriptures to find out whether those things are so. But I'm here to tell you, if you think I'm lost because I believe this, I am trusting Jesus Christ as my sole, complete uh, offering for sin, what he did on the cross, and his blood has cleansed me from all my sins. Now, you may not like what I have said, you may not agree with what I have said, but you're going to have to deal with the scriptures because the scriptures teach something opposite of what you have been promoting as being truth. Now, with that being said, I want to draw you back to the day of your salvation. I want you to remember the day that you trusted Christ as your Savior. And, and even go back further than that, I want you to remember what it was like before you trusted him. I want you to remember the heartache. I want you to remember the misery, the uncertainty, and the hopelessness that you had before you trusted Jesus Christ. For some of you, as it was for me, it was a process of time that the Lord was dealing with you before you ever made the decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. I remember a couple of times that there were just sparse incidents where I received a track, but when I read that track, even though it is clear and obvious to me today, at that time that I received the track, I did not, I could not make heads or tails how it was any different than what I was believing as a, as, as a, a, a Lutheran, uh, uh, taught to believe the 10 commandments and, uh, keep the golden rule. And I just couldn't see my, my spiritual mind was blinded uh, by the God of this world. And so then I, uh, I went into the Navy and I got onto a ship down in uh, Mayport, Florida. And uh, lo and behold, uh, as I'm going uh, up and down the ladder one day, uh, a fellow met me and, and said, hey, Steve, would you like to come to church with me? And I brushed him off and, and said, no, 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 no. I was too interested in my lifestyle and uh, the freedom of being away from home and being able to do whatever I wanted to do and go to all the bars and all the things that, that you know, with that lifestyle and so forth. And come to find out there were two other guys, one guy by the name of Wally, one guy by the name of Gene, and one guy by the name of Al. And uh, they, through a period of eight months, dealt with me and gave me tracks and sat down and talked with me. And, and I wish I could say that I treated them well, but I did not. I argued with them, and I gave them a hard time. I played practical jokes on them. I screamed at them. I cussed at them. I did all kinds of things to them. And undaunted, they, uh, they still persisted. It wasn't like it was an everyday thing, but they, uh, they kept after me. And I'm thankful that they did. Because about eight months' time... Uh, in December of uh, 1976, on uh, the 29th of that month, I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I remember the, the heartache. I remember the loneliness. I remember the hopelessness that was going uh, in my life before I tr- uh, received him as my Savior. For some, it was a process of time, but maybe some, it was a chance meeting. Maybe some of you uh, had somebody knock at your door 
and uh, they begin to talk to you about the Lord and ask if they could uh, sh- take a Bible and show you how you could be saved. And maybe through that chance meeting, you trusted the Lord. Maybe it was a, somebody on a street corner that was handing out a gospel track, and you took that track and, and took it home and, and uh, read that track and trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you were sitting at home and reading a Bible, and and somehow, just uh, through the Scriptures themselves, you trusted the Lord as your Savior. Maybe some radio or TV preacher, if you could find any of them that actually preach the gospel these days, but maybe somebody on the radio or on TV preached the gospel, and you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But there came a point when you asked the Lord to save you. You said something similar to, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know if I got what I deserve, I'd go to hell, and I want Jesus Christ to save me and forgive me for my sins. And you know what? Whether you read it off the back of a track or whether you repeated a prayer that someone helped you with or whether you just prayed the best way you know how, the transaction was done. You had been gloriously saved. I don't know some of you might have been very emotional at that time and just cried buckets of tears. Uh, Some maybe just uh, instead of shedding a tear, but just felt a great relief, that that, uh, burden just being unloaded off of your back, and, and you felt for the first time a freedom. Maybe some of you were just a matter of fact. You were kind of stoic. I remember when I when I knelt down at the, the front of a church, I didn't really have anybody to help me, although they volunteered, but I knew what I needed to do. I'd heard these fellas tell me over and over and over again, and I got on my knees and asked the Lord to save me. I got up from that, and there wasn't really any emotion. There wasn't any, you know, tears or, or anything along that line. In fact, the, the, the kind of the, the uh, uh, thought that went through my mind is, okay, is that it? You know, <laughs> is that all there is to it? You know, I just trusted that they said, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. And that's what I did. You realize that all God requires of you is to believe by faith that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient to pay for your sins. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Uh, Another verse that you're probably familiar with in John chapter 1, but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, uh, even to them that believe on his name. Salvation is an event, not an experience. There's, you know, you often hear that that term, you know, their salvation experience, and if they're referring to their testimony and how they got saved, that's one thing. But there are some people that are trusting in a feeling. They're trusting in an experience. And that's why it's so important for you to understand that that Jesus Christ made it clear for us to understand that it is not an experience, but it's an event. And the reason why I say that is he gave us John chapter 3, where he likened the spiritual birth to a physical birth. And physical birth is is an event, and we celebrate that event each of the passing years as they go by. It's not an experience. It's not a feeling. You know, 10 years from now, if you were to celebrate that feeling, your feeling about that time may change. But the event does not change. You see, salvation is a fact. 
An event is a fact. You were born again. It's the same thing. An experience is dependent upon you. Salvation is dependent upon God. And what seemed to be a casual thing, praying that God would save you, believing from the heart, I want you to know that God was very busy doing things for you that you could not do for yourself. And this gets me uh, to really the crux of, of the matter and what we're really going to be talking about. I want to talk to you about the shun words, the shun words. You realize that modern Christianity knows very little about the shun words. You see, the shun words are Bible doctrine. Modern Christianity is not into doctrine at all. Like I said, they're more interested in the experience. They're more interested in unity through emotion and feeling than they are from the, the truth from the scriptures. The shun words. What are you talking about? Well, salvation, regeneration, imputation, redemption, propitiation, justification, reconciliation, adoption, sanctification, glorification. Each one of these things could be a sermon in themselves. My purpose in this podcast is basically to familiarize you with what God was doing in you when you thought nothing was happening when you trusted Jesus Christ or received Christ into your heart. Now, if you were to take a look at uh, uh, a theology book, you know, systematic theology or whatever, and you took a look at these words, which they'll be in there, the definitions of them are so grandiose and so forth that you, when you're reading them, you're like, you know, getting confused as to what they're really talking about. Uh, in my own way, in a very simplistic way, I'm not a very complicated person. I took those, those uh, uh, definitions of these shun words, and I've broken them down into something I think that's simple enough for us to grab a hold of what God was doing. The first one is, and these are in no particular order, but the first one is regeneration. Regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit where God makes alive those that were spiritually dead. Let me repeat that. Uh, regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit where God makes alive those that were spiritually dead. We understand that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, God said, in the day that ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. That death was not their physical death. It was, they didn't die physically until 900 some odd years later. But they did die spiritually. Their spirit died and they were separated from God and God had to make a sacrifice for them in order for their fellowship to be restored and so forth and so on. And he had to kick them out of the garden because he didn't want them to eat of the tree of life in that fallen state. So when we see this and we take a look at this, uh, what the, the, the New Testament says about regeneration, in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, he says, you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, if you take a look at that, you can realize that you're talking about a spiritual death, not a physical death, because he's talking to people that are alive. He says, you hath he quickened who were 
dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened or made alive, quickened us together with Christ, for by grace he is saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, there is a quickening. That quickening is made alive. That dead spirit once you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, is now made alive by the Holy Spirit of God. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took, uh, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Do you realize he took those ordinances and the handwritings, that Old Testament law that held us in bondage, that could not give us eternal life and have complete forgiveness of sins, where, where our sins were taken away, that couldn't be done until Jesus Christ did that for us. And he, regen uh, he uh, regenerated us and quickened us and made us alive, that dead spirit alive. Titus chapter 3 and verse 4, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The second word I'd like to draw your attention to is reconciliation. Reconciliation, the restoration of fellowship between two parties which were at odds with each other. You see, there was enmity, there was hatred, there was, there was this friction between you and God. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. There it is again. For to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Verse 16 and that he might reconcile both to God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. You see, Jesus Christ, on, with his sacrifice, God reconciled us together. He was able to take the hand of man and the hand of God, and he was able to bring those two hands together in fellowship. There was no longer that enmity. There was no longer that hatred between the two of us. We were no longer fighting against each other, but now there is this reconciliation. In Colossians chapter 1, 
In verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. In, uh, in uh, the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Do you realize that he presents you? You do not present yourself. You see, if you were to present yourself, you would be presenting yourself with your righteousness. And what he does is he presents you to God with his own righteousness. The next thing I'd like to to, uh, uh, draw your attention to is redemption. Redemption. Redemption is the act of paying the price required to buy back something, someone, I'm sorry, someone in bondage. And uh, we were in bondage to sin, and uh, we were hopelessly bound by that sin, and uh, there was a price that needed to be paid. You know what that price was? It was sinless blood. It was sinless blood. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You say, how could uh, Jesus Christ uh, have sinless blood? Well, because it was God's blood. Take a look in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Uh, When he was alive on this earth, he had God's blood flowing through his veins. Verse 28 of Acts chapter 20 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the flock of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. It was God's blood. And that was the only thing that could pay the price that God required for our redemption. The verse that ought to be very familiar with you uh, to you is found in 1 Peter chapter 1. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The next thing I'd like to draw your attention to is propitiation. Propitiation. That word's not used very much anymore. It is a Bible word. But it, uh, propitiation is the means by which Jesus appeased the wrath of God upon uh, wrath of God upon us because of our sin satisfying God's demand for justice. Let me read that one more time. Propitiation is the means by which Jesus appeased the wrath of God upon us because of our sin, satisfying God's demand for justice. You see, sin had to have a payment. And hell was the payment or the eternal payment for sin. You either had to pay that penalty yourself or someone had to pay it for you. And the wrath of God was upon a lost sinner. Take your Bible and go to uh, John chapter 3. You know, there are a lot of people that talk about, you know, 
God loves the sinner but hates the sin. You've heard that term, I'm sure. But uh, that's an untruth again. That's another one of those little sayings that people have to try to make themselves feel good and try to soften the blow of what uh, salvation and the dire need that someone is in that needs salvation. In uh, John chapter 3 and verse 36 says this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's present tense. That lost sinner, if he doesn't believe in, uh, on Jesus Christ, he has the wrath of God abiding on him. God loved him at the cross. If he wants the love of God, he's got to go back to the cross. Otherwise, he has the wrath of God upon him. Now, that's what the scripture says. I'm not trying to, to pick a fight with anybody, but that's what it says. And that's why people need to be saved. And God loved them. Yes, he did. And he went and paid the price so that they could have salvation. But they don't receive that love until they come to the cross. They need to come to the cross. First uh, John chapter 4, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, it's a, it's a, it's a trade. It's a, it's a, a taking somebody else's place. Uh, the moment I trusted Jesus Christ as my savior, in essence, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Steve, step aside. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to suffer on this cross. I'm going to suffer your hell. I'm going to take your sins upon me. And in, in exchange, I'm going to give you my righteousness. He took my place that I rightfully deserved. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 24, beginning in verse 24, it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier to him that believeth in Jesus. Could be said that Jesus is our substitute and willingly took our place. That leads me to imputation. Imputation. Imputation is the means by which guilt or innocence is transferred from one to another. Imputation is the means by which guilt or innocence is transferred from one to another. The guilt of our sin was transferred to Jesus Christ, and the innocence and righteousness of Jesus was transferred to a repentant sinner. Jesus took our sin, and God gives us his righteousness in exchange. Abraham in, in uh, Romans chapter 4 is an example of that imputation and trying to show us that we, can, we receive that same imputation. So, says this in Romans 4 verse 23, now it was not written for his sake, Abraham's sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it 
uh, shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. The word imputation is not in this verse I'm about to read to you, but the essence of imputation is inferred. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Justification. This is the act whereby God legally declares the sinner righteous, sinless, on the merit of Christ, when he took our sins as his own and receiving our punishment. If you will, you can kind of picture the Lord Jesus Christ or God on the bench in a courtroom pronouncing judgment from the bench as a legal act and saying, I declare, Steve, justified, cleared of all your sins. That's what justification is. In Romans chapter 3, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 28 says, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Do you see the contrast? Do you see how he's making a contrast between law and grace? There is a distinction between the two. Old Testament saints aren't saved the same way as you and I are. They are not justified. They had to go to a holding place until the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that sacrifice was made. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. One more scripture on this, Romans chapter 5 and verse 18 says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. That's Adam. Even so, by the righteousness of one, Jesus Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now, let me pause here for just a moment for someone to think that they could work their way to heaven is absolutely ridiculous. You could not justify yourself by your own works. You're a sinner. You had to have something take place for you in order for God to declare you justified. The next thing I want to draw to your attention is adoption. Adoption. This is the legal act that God accepts us as his own children When we come to his son for salvation, Galatians chapter four, beginning in verse four says, but when the fullness of of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because your sons, God has set, sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. One more. Well, not one more. We've got a, got a couple more here. Sanctification. Sanctification. This is the act of of separating us from being owned by the devil and now being owned by God. 
The Bible says in John chapter 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, and 12, uh, verse 11, sorry. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of, Je- of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that are uh, that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now, I want you to understand that sanctification is kind of twofold. First of all, it is the sanctification that happens by the, the act that, that uh, the Lord separates us from being a child of the devil to being a child of God. He separates us. He sanctifies us. He sets us apart for that. But there's also an ongoing process of sanctification for the believer. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, it says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are uh, not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. You see, there is, a, there is a process that takes place as we live for God when we sanctify ourselves by living right and doing right and following the Lord and reading the word of God and praying and staying in fellowship with him that we are sanctified, that we are able to be used of God to accomplish his will here on this earth. Says what in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The the indication is that there is a separation made, a sanctification. Uh, verse uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which had begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is in a process of sanctifying you, making you clean, separating you from the world, separating you from your old habits so that you can be used of God, so that you can perform his will for the glory and praise of his majesty. The last thing I want to draw to your attention is glorification. Glorification. This is the act of God when he makes us just like his son. Uh, Just the thought of that is overwhelming. But in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says this, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 42, So also 
is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Starting in verse 51, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, I want you to know that all of this takes place the moment we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. I don't know if you realize it or not, but our salvation is a great miracle of God. On our part, a simple act of faith. On God's part, an act of love securing for us so great salvation. What a blessing to know that our God provided for us more than what we could have ever done for ourselves. So I submit to you that our salvation is a great salvation. We may not know on the outside or even on the inside what God trans- uh, what transpired by God in us the moment we trusted him as our Savior, but the Word of God lets us know that it was a tremendous bargain that we got. All we had to do is give him our sins and trust him as our Savior, and he gives us all the shun words that we might receive all of these blessings, all of this love, because he so loved us. So great salvation. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate the opportunity. And Steve, thank you so much. You know, when I got saved, I got saved uh, in 1984. I got saved in a bathroom locker room. <laughs> That'll work. Now, now, do. <laughs> now let me explain that. I was uh, I actually had a job. I was at the Niagara County Golf Course, and I was out of the army. I took the job where you know it was really like a security job where you'd make sure nobody was breaking into the pro shop, which a lot of folks were. So you would just kind of make rounds, and and they had a little chair set up in the locker room bathroom, and uh, I was reading a Bible. Um, and I remember reading from Matthew, and by the time I got to the book of John, I was like, oh, this, there's no way this is not true. There's no way this is made up or just man's words. And I had been witnessed to enough and been given enough tracks that I knew that, you know, what I needed to do was bow my head, and, and uh, I certainly knew I was a sinner. I knew there was no way I was going to get to heaven on my own. And I asked uh, Jesus Christ to come into my life and trusted in him. And I didn't think anything, you know, and I didn't feel any different at the time. I'm like, did I do that right? <laughs> <laughs> and especially in light of what I just heard with, you know, all of these things that Steve talks about that happens that we get after we get saved. 
Amen. And I'm, but I do remember in the morning, it was, it was overnight, you know, that I was working this job. I remember in the morning driving home and just feeling like, wow, I feel really light. <laughs> you know, I feel really light and uh, it just felt really good. And I know we don't trust in feelings, but I, I, there's something about it. You know, I, I, I wasn't sure if I'd done it the right thing, or if I'd done it right. And I found out later that, yeah, I had. But I, I do think, uh, you know, I just felt a feeling of peace and, and uh, burdens had been lifted. And, amen. And it was God's good, God's gracious. I, amen. 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 We lost Matthew. I just want you to know. We lost Matthew due to the storm there. And he's, I tried to. Uh, Talking with him, he said his internet connection is really bad. So, but uh, he said, "Go on without him." Amen. It is good to be saved. Mm. It's, incidentally, um, for a good number of years, I lived right across the street from where you got saved, and uh, <laughs> really, and I didn't know that till now. Amen. Amen. Well, it was a good job by Brother Steve, as Amen. he said, you could certainly do a whole sermon or study on any one of those shun words. And he did a great job of acquainting you with the terms and giving you a real good idea of what they're all about. And there's a lot of things that could be added, even pertaining to his uh, intro and some of his um, side comments. But um, I'm just going to weigh in on on one of the things that he mentioned, one of the shun words, and that is imputation. Uh, the process whereby God gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. One of the verses that Pastor Steve gave you was Second Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And this verse, really, as he said, though it doesn't mention imputation, it describes imputation. And it shows us that in order for God to impute the righteousness of Christ to us, that he had to impute our sins to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Jesus had to have our sins put upon him so that we could have his righteousness put upon us. Um, I have a strange way that I like to illustrate that. Uh, it's If you can picture, you've probably seen somewhere a cartoon or a movie of a, a mad scientist that has this big contraption. He's got two people, sometimes a, two animals or sometimes a person and an animal. And they're um, sitting in chairs kind of next to each other with this big machine in between them. They got these things that look like, um, you know, upside down silver bowl on their head with wires coming out of it attached to the machine. And then the wild eyed looking mad scientist, you know, pulls this big old lever and electricity starts to move and it goes into the one side and into the other side. Anyway, by the time you're all done, um, when the people get up or they begin to talk, if let's say we have a duck and a cow, the cow moves like, uh, like, um, or the duck moves like a cow. And the cow quacks like a duck. And what has happened is their their personalities have been transferred. And and in a way, it's it's to me, it's very reminiscent of what happens upon salvation. Mm. We get mm. the righteousness of Christ. His personality is transferred to us. We we become a new creature in Christ. Amen. And and he gets our sins. And I really think that we got the better part of that deal. Uh, yes, <laughs> sir. Yes, sir. Amen. amen, amen. That's certainly a truth. And while you may not, and I certainly didn't know all the things that uh, had happened at salvation and didn't feel, you know, ultimately a whole lot different right at that moment, 
but boy, as time goes on and the Lord and the Holy Spirit starts dealing with you on things and convicting you of things that you're doing and things that you're not doing, um, you find out that you are a changed person. You know, the things that didn't bother you before, maybe swear words or certain scenes in movies and things, you're like, mm, yeah, I can't watch this. <laughs> This is, this is not good for me spiritually. Certain yeah. music, certain music that I know over the years now just draws me away. I'm like, no, I can't do that anymore. Um, not because anybody's telling me I can't. It's just I know I can't because it right. uh, it leads to a, a, it leads me down a wrong path. It takes me to where I don't want to be. And so. Well, the sad thing is, you know, in light of of all of those shun words and and what God has done, uh, modern Christianity has fallen away from from learning doctrine, and they uh, no longer investigate. And, and if you really took a serious study in those shun words, uh, you couldn't come away believing that you could lose your salvation Amen. because you did absolutely nothing to receive any of that. God did it all for you, and if you didn't have anything to do with it to begin with, how could you have anything to do with it afterwards? Amen. Uh, and, and you know, you you begin to talk to people about doctrine and so forth, and they say, oh, you know, almost like they put the cross up in front of you like you would a vampire, you know, get away, get away, you know. Uh, you know, doctrine divides, and uh, the Lord did that on purpose uh, because he wants people that are serious about the truth more than experience to be able to, to, to have, uh, the assurance, uh, you know, of what they believe. And, uh, you find out that people that don't have the assurance are doubting themselves all the time. They're mm-hmm. doubting whether they're saved or not. They're doubting, uh, you know, uh, you know, everything about their Christianity. And the only way that they can get people to get, uh, you know, energized again is to rev them up emotionally. And that's why you see the kind of services that you do with Benny Hinn and Swaggart and, and some of these other guys is that they, they pump them up with all this positive stuff and they pump them up with all this emotion in order for them to have quote, the feeling that they're, uh, you know, close to God and energized with God. And really all you need is, is the truth of the scriptures and that's slow and study that doesn't wear away. And, uh, you know, you can, you can have that assurance that, uh, that the Lord's there and, and what a marvelous thing the Lord had, had transpired upon you when you trusted him as your savior. Amen. And the point that you made in the lesson about salvation being an event as opposed to an experience is uh, very well put. And these people, what a lot of us like to do people, cause we're human beings, we, we want to tech uh, everything on an experience because I felt this and I felt that. And mm-hmm. both of you have testified you prayed and, and you didn't feel anything different. And I, and some people pray and they do, but I can testify the night that I um, received the Lord Jesus Christ and my Savior, got the assurance of my salvation. Um, when that thing was all presented to me and I prayed and the pastor had asked me for a second time if I died right now, you know, where would I go? Or am I 100% sure I'd go to heaven? And I didn't feel any different. And all mm-hmm. I could say after done praying is, well, I hope I would. Mm-hmm. And at that point, he began to show me some verses on eternal security and assurance and so forth. And somewhere in there, the light began to shine mm-hmm. and the Spirit of God began to bear witness. And and so sometimes it doesn't all happen at once. I'm reminded also of um, 
Dr. Ruckman's illustration that he would do on um, faith, uh, facts, faith, and feeling. Right. So you got the facts, you put your faith in that, and you know, as you continue to walk with the Lord, I mean, feeling comes along afterwards, but mm-hmm. the salvation is based on your faith in the facts. Amen. You feeling or not. Right. Amen. Yeah, amen. Just like uh, our salvation isn't isn't based on anything we can do, it's also not based on how we feel about it. <laughs> you know, uh, this week I feel saved, next week I don't. You know, right. amen, amen. That, that sort of thing. Well, the the other thing that that needs to be noted and, and at least stated anyway in this podcast for anyone that maybe uh, is not uh, saved and and listening to this, your understanding of all those shun words is not necessary for you to uh, to trust him. All you have to do by simple faith is just believe what Jesus Christ did on the cross is the payment for you and, and ask him to save you and forgive you of your sins. And that's all you need to know. These other things are added that God does for you. Uh, it's good to know afterwards so that you can appreciate the salvation that you have. But there, you don't have to have a full understanding of these things in order to receive him as your Savior. Amen. And I, was, I, just, I just wanted to say, too, that what a great deal we got in on, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, here years after now I've been saved and, and, and these, both of these pastors know that I haven't always done the right thing along the way. And, you know, I've made some mistakes along the way and, um, but God's merciful. He, you know, he's still, still saved and still allows me to, to, uh, serve him Amen. and, uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, me either. <laughs> you're, you're missing out. You're missing out yeah. if you're if you're uh, doubting or, or not trusting in the Lord. Amen. Amen. And then I just want to add one last thing here from uh, my standpoint. Uh, based in, in addition to everything I've, we've said about the facts and the experience, as, as opposed to um, an event and, and the, all that contrast, um, I just want to make sure that everybody understands. Um, it still feels good to be saved. Yes, Amen. it does. And and it, the feelings do come along as you walk with the Lord and serve the Lord. And we know that that's not what our salvation is dependent upon. But man, it sure feels good to know that your sins are forgiven, to go to bed at night, and to know that you're on your way to heaven, mm-hmm. not to have to worry about going to hell anymore. Amen. And, um, you know, we've been on both sides of this fence here. And uh, I think all of us would agree and I can certainly testify that a bad day saved is better than a good day lost. Yeah, amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. Isn't that the truth? Well, guys, Steve, thanks again for a great study. It was, uh, boy, it was a blessing to me, too. And I hope the listeners as well. So so we'll be back again here in the, shortly in a couple of more weeks, Lord willing, and we'll bring another lesson. This is a two in uh, 2018 already, so we're ahead of the game here for the last several years. Amen. <laughs> Any other parting shots, guys? Jesus is coming soon. Enjoy the song. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some witty thing to say to Matt because he wasn't here to critique my, uh, my message, but uh, we'll let it ride. All right. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Care. Rising up in the skies 
fly, homeward we then will fly, glory to share. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon, many will, many will meet their doom, trumpets will trumpets sound, surely sound, all of the dead shall rise, righteous be in the skies, going where, going where no one dies. Heavenward bound Jesus is coming soon Morning or night or noon Many will, many will meet their doom Trumpets will Trumpets sound Trumpets will surely sound All of the dead shall rise Righteous be in the skies Going where, going where no one dies Heavenward This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on. You're absolutely correct.